Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, the very funny and talented John Collins. You may not know his name, but you've probably seen his brilliant work. He's the guy behind those iconic movies that get a round of network notes. They're on his blog, Geez John. If La La Land got a round of network notes, went viral. And that's when I knew I had to have John on the podcast. In real life, John is not just a great writer with his eye and ear firmly on the pulse of reality TV, but he's also a senior story producer who's come up in the business in the edit room. So when he writes those fake network notes, he knows exactly what he's talking about. John Collins, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. This is going to be fun. <laughs> I, I've been reading your work for a while. Uh-oh. You're a genius. Oh, thank you. You're very, that's very flattering. <laughs> uh, it's true. So I, the way that we connected is that I, I think I retweeted one of your brilliant blogs, um, If La La Land Got a Round of Reality TV Notes. Yes. And you sort of you know, reached out and or retweeted or something. Oh, I just said thank you. Like, yeah. Oh, thanks for the, and here's another one of things. Here's I, and I sent you the one for I think Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and so I said, oh, you have to come on my show. And I had heard you on Jay and Tony a few years ago, and <laughs> thought you were great. Um, and wanted to know more because it's like, who is this guy that's nailing these notes to the T? <laughs> <laughs> so he's got to have some experience. You cannot just. Taken this stuff by osmosis, you have to have lived it. Uh, yes, I, I have the scars to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of those scars, you have an interesting background because you came up sort of through the reality TV mm-hmm. ladder, but you also are an actor. Yes, I um, actually went to college as a for in for theater, and I was an acting major. Um, my first two years of college actually was a film major. I really wanted to be like the next like auteur, right? <laughs> right? But I was also doing community theater at the time. I was doing improv at the time. And I realized my heart was really more in acting at the time. So I just went over to acting. I acted for a long time in Chicago. I did lots of plays there. I did commercials. I did some indie films. Came out here to act um, and then uh, was acting for a while. And then my survival job was I was logging footage. I started on uh, Project Greenlight. Love that show. The very first season, which is great. Yeah, I remember that with Pete. Pete, yeah. <laughs> Pete Jones. Yeah. And Jeff Bayless and, oh, Pat Peach, who was like the, the yes. villainous line producer. Oh, it was great. And Joseph Middleton, the casting director. I mean, it was like, it was it was basically like a lesson on how Hollywood works while you're, you're being paid to pretty much take a class, basically. So for those people who don't know, Project Greenlight was... A brilliant show. I believe, was it Magical Elves back then, or they took it over later? Magical Elves took over season two. Okay. So the first season was like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon producing it with yep. Chris Moore, who was uh, their producing partner. Right. And it's sort of the behind the scenes of how a movie gets made. So they it's a contest, and they pick the movie maker. Um, mm-hmm. In this case, it was this Pete Jones. and Who's from Chicago like me. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, seems like a sweet guy. They brought him back in the last season to, like, mm-hmm. you know, basically mentor this dickhead producer. <laughs> I mean, sorry, director. Um, but, you know, I love personally, I don't know if you're like this, but I love seeing how the donuts are made. Like, that's my oh, favorite type of show. Yeah. Like, that nobody watched it, but, like, my favorite reality show of all times was Oprah's 25th year. Uh, Did you watch it? I've seen bits and pieces of that, and even those bits and pieces were just eye-opening. Riveting. I yeah. mean, seeing just seeing Oprah without makeup in her office is mm-hmm. enough to just slay me. Like, I love <laughs> just seeing... The real stuff, you yeah. know, and also obviously being someone in the business, it's interesting to see. I mean, I'm not a filmmaker, but just to see that process. Right. So what did you learn from that first job? You said it was like a course in filmmaking. Well, basically how I think sometimes when if you're not in the business or you're you, you're coming in really early into the business, you, everything is bizarre to you. Yeah. It's like this weird sort of like arcane sort of thing and it really kind of made it just very realistic and like and these are just real people doing real things and you sometimes you make mistakes sometimes you don't and you just need to follow your instincts and just listen and just do your job and if you don't know how to do your job you ask questions and you just do it it's a very it was more practical and it's realizing oh it's not this weird thing that people are just keeping hidden it's just a job like anything else and these are people who love their job who um who really take pride in their work and therefore they want to do the best job possible Right. Yeah. Right. So you spent seven seasons on The Bachelor after that. <laughs> you better spill some tea. Okay. Yeah. I started off, um, one of the people, who, the head of the story department at Greenlight was working on The Bachelor. And then she told me when I was working on Greenlight, she said, I'll recommend you for any job you want. 
if you when if you need anything, you just let me know. So I emailed her one day when I was looking for work. I'm like, hey, I need I need I need a gig. And so I went over to the production company to Next and I worked on high school reunion and then which was also my high school. Really? Yeah, it was my just high school. By coincidence? By co- sheer coincidence, it was my high school. That is bizarre. Yeah, because I came in my first day to log and I'm looking at all like the casting tapes and one says Tim Giddings. Like, oh, I know a Tim Giddings. Oh, that's funny. I put the tape in and it's my friend Tim Giddings from high school. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? So I then I started looking at it, I recognized other people and it was my high school. Was it your year? Two years after me. Okay. So, so that must have been the most meta experience. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. So then after that, I went on to work on season two of The Bachelor. They just finished, what, season 20? Wow. Yeah, and I started as a logger, and then I was there for like two years. So I did, like, went logger, head logger, story, uh, assistant story producer, and then post coordinator. So I worked on, I was just rolling from show to show to show there. So I did five seasons of The Bachelor, two seasons of The Bachelorette, Tristan and Ryan's wedding, high school reunion. Yeah, and I was... I was like staffing all of the loggers in addition to like doing helping like on story stuff. And so, yeah. So I always try to clarify, you know, for people who may not know. So logging basically is you have headphones on and you're Mm -hmm. watching the raw footage and you're just transcribing it pretty much verbatim. Right. So what what was sort of your biggest lesson there in terms of like what you were logging and maybe highlighting as sort of the good bites versus what made air like or how editors may have manipulated things? Like what did you learn from that? One thing I did learn is that I was highlighting stuff that I would want to see because I've been watching TV my whole life. My yeah. mom jokes that my favorite, the first numbers I ever learned in my life weren't one, two, three, and four, but they were two, five, seven, and nine, which were the local affiliates in Chicago. <laughs> right? So I'm used to like watching TV. What I do I like to it. watch? So basically, I would like, when I'm watching something, especially when it's The Bachelor, you have lots of footage of just the girls at the house bored out of their minds while they're waiting for another date to come around. So there's been lots of time of just like, Molly and Tammy talk about MAC cosmetics, right? It's like, okay, nothing really is here. So you can just kind of gloss over that, right? You can just summarize it. And so if there's the story person can go through, like, I don't need this, I don't need this, I don't need this. Oh, wait a minute, here's a juicy line. Because if it pops out to me, it's going to pop out the, to them. Now, would it pop out out of context? You know, oh, they're talking about MAC and then like that is the most luscious thing I've ever tasted or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Grab that. <laughs> or if it's like, oh, I can't stand it. Oh, that makes me so mad. Right? Grab that. <laughs> so you learn the tricks of the trade early on. Yeah. And what did you, well, how would you character? I mean, The Bachelor to me is such a fascinating social experiment. I just got back into it this season. Mm. Um, I was never super into it, but I sort of dipped in and out. And, you know, as a feminist, it's, like, super offensive to me. But as a reality TV watcher, I, it's a train wreck I can't get enough of. It's a bizarre sociological experiment as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, are the women sort of as stupid as they appear on the show? <laughs> Sorry to be that frank. <laughs> you have to be cut from a certain cloth to want to go on The Bachelor to begin with, right? It's not like they're going to, like, a Mensa meeting. Like, okay, ladies, <laughs> come on down. Who wants to date a guy that you've never seen before and be, be cut? Shunted away for two months out of your life, where you're shunted up into a room, into a, a building where you have no access to internet, no access to phones, little food, but a ton of alcohol, and you know, eh. right? Yeah. You're a strange, but you're 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 not sort of in the norm, right? And then, okay, so back to my question. So, so basically, you're saying that the Darwin's rule of natural selection, <laughs> <laughs> you sort of have already weeded out anyone fairly normal, pretty much, right? And then were there some women that you just knew were psychologically unbalanced? Yeah, there's some people like early on you could tell. There's a difference between, oh, I hate, this is kind of a harsh thing to say, but I'll just say it. (laughs) There's a difference between TV crazy and regular crazy. Right. Yes, that's true. So you basically, I know for casting for that, they were going for who's TV crazy? Mm -hmm. Who's Who's a, who's a little off kilter enough that we could make for good television, but not so much where it's exploitative. Right. 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 As, cause as opposed to some people who'd really have some legitimate issues, you're like, I oh, you don't want anything to be around them. You just want to make sure that they get the help that they need. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so you want to have the balance of everything. I think one of the best cast dating shows I've ever seen is the first season of Flavor of Love. <laughs> I'm not familiar. I mean, uh, I know the show, obviously, but I don't Yeah. The uh, first season of Flavor of Love was cast brilliantly because you had a couple, like, big, big characters, but you also had a lot of people who were more relatively normal, right? Yeah. So, so therefore, the people who were the big characters really stood out. Yeah. Because the whole thing, the reason why an elephant is funny is because it's in the context with all the other animals at the zoo. Right. If you have 
an elephant with a whole herd of elephants, then they're just all elephants. That's a very good analogy, John. <laughs> a sad one, but a good one. A sad one. one, but yeah. So I'm assuming you've watched Unreal. Um, I had to turn off the pilot for mm-hmm. Unreal after the first five minutes because I was getting so much PTSD. I just had to stop. Wow. But then I kind of like took a, like an, a couple days and I went back to it and I watched the first season and it was really, really kind of amazing. In what way? Um, some of it was completely dead on, like completely, utterly dead on. Like in terms of the actual look of the set? or yes. like okay. The look of the set, the girls that they were getting, the uh, the interactions that the producers would have with the girls. Like here's the thing, I was in post the entire time, so I can't say like I was not witness to it, but when you're watching eight hours of footage every day yeah, and you're watching those rose ceremonies and the the the, the the mixers that go up to the rose ceremonies, you know, you're watching lots of just raw footage. So you're seeing a lot of that interaction, a lot of what, you know, you're seeing a lot of the um, aftermath of what the character interaction is with the producer. So, so yeah, a lot of that is really, really dead on. And also some of the producing, the producers and the EPs and all that stuff was very, it was, it was kind of eerie. Yeah, I, I guess in my naivete, because I've never worked on a show like that, mm-hmm. I was just shocked at sort of the real life story editing as as it's happening. You yes. know what I mean? Is that the way it was? Again, I have not worked on the show since 2004. Okay. So a lot of time has passed. But my my impression is that they've really kind of focused a lot of their time on, on shaping the show, even in the field. Um, I know that because back when we were, we were doing it before, it was more kind of loosey. It was a bit more loosey-goosey. There was some producing but not a lot yeah but i think yeah i think there is a lot of like okay who's really because they would have like a big whiteboard um on their production office tracking each girl as to what their story is and they would try to leap push towards more the girls who are more interesting or who could be more like the wifey as like how they say it in unreal like who who is who's the person that their audience could really get behind you know the most interesting thing to me as someone who watched the show for a few seasons um, not so much this season, but and I always say, and I said this to Jason Carbone, who was in here, and one mm-hmm. of he was one of the original producers on the show. That kudos to those incredible editors of which you were a part of, for always making it a nail biter in the end about who the hell the bachelor is going to choose. Because yeah. I'm sure that he hates one of them, mm-hmm. or that he's not into one of them at all. But right. the way that it's done, most of the time, and these guys are not actors, so no. I got to take my hat off to the editors, you really have no idea who the hell he's going to pick. Right. And I've been fooled many times. Well, also, too, it's the whole idea that they're kind of cut off from everything else. Like, the when they're when you're doing The Bachelor, like, it's just the lead, the lead or the bachelor or the bachelorette, depending on, yeah. you, know, you know, it's the same model. The, the lead is in their house by themselves. And all they do all day is date. That's all they do. They go on dates. They do interviews. They drink a lot of wine. That's pretty much what their job is, right? And for the suitors or the or for the bachelorettes or the, the for the girls, they're in like just they're just in one house by themselves, cut off, and all their all their focus is on the guy. Yeah, you know. And so therefore, that's what their world. So so suddenly, all that becomes way more important than it normally would be. So it's a whole sort of heightened reality. Well, it is because I genuinely believe that they all genuinely believe that they're in love with this guy, at least for the Bachelor version. And I'm like, what? You've Mm -hmm. literally dated him two weeks. And when I say dated, I mean been in these bizarre situations with other women that you're competing (laughs) with. And he's the love of your life and he's going to be your husband. And, you know, it's so cliched at this point, but I really believe that these women think it. And now you Mm -hmm. explaining it that way makes me kind of understand that it's almost like a form of, you know, like a prisoner, like a prisoner that's been locked up and starts, you know, what's Stockholm syndrome. A little, yeah, a little Stockholm syndrome, sure. <laughs> but also, too, it's like that's that's what also they're they're they've signed up for this. Right. I always say this. I always say this for everything. Being on a reality show is a voluntary condition. <laughs> right. It's not like you got like three DUIs. And right. Like, OK, Miss Rosen, <laughs> your choice is you're either going to have to do community service or the Bachelor, <laughs> I would do. I probably do community service. Yeah, well, that's the and thing. like the worst prison ever. Um, <laughs> so therefore, the, yeah. the, the, these are people who are choosing to do this, and also the Bachelor's been on for a long time. I was now. just going to say that, so yeah. I'm wondering how much. Well, probably by the end of your run, you could see this. How much of it is them watching? You know, that's what happened to the real world, right? right. And a lot of these other shows that have been on a really long time is 
these kids grew up watching it. Mm-hmm. And so you've studied the language. You've studied, you know, now when these girls go, go, uh, go home on their hometown dates, the parents are, they know what to look for. They know what to ask. They've, they're, they're parroting what they've seen already right. on TV. And it does lose its, it does feel like it loses its authenticity. Right. But I guess that's unavoidable. Well, and then maybe maybe now with ABC's attempt to kind of broaden the diversity pool of the— uh, <laughs> How long has it taken? <laughs> it's, long. it's taken too damn long. It's what it's taken. It's taken too damn long. But maybe now that will help to kind of make it feel a bit more real. Yeah. Okay, if we can zoom out for just one second. Yeah. In my opinion, reality is getting its ass kicked right now by scripted. Hell yeah. It's scripted is way more interesting. It's more dynamic. There's just more of it. Because it's a bit more dynamic, right? We have lots of, I mean, with the advent of uh, Hulu and Amazon and Netflix, suddenly you can get all these really great creative auteur-like TV shows, yeah, scripted shows. We're not getting that sort of dynamic, the sort of dynamic quality with reality because it's kind of just been like the same thing over and over and over again. And people are so worried about breaking out, not realizing it's the same audience. For both. There is. I mean, I'm a perfect example because I love my scripted. But mm-hmm. if I had a, you know, when I go to my DVR at night, the first thing I'll watch is Real Housewives, you know, and <laughs> then all of my other Showtime and HBO shows, yeah. you know, because to me, it's very escapist, like scripted. Yeah. I think it's a great point. And actually, I think um, an exception to that rule, at least in this last year, was the circus on Showtime, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you watched it. Mm-hmm. It was so well done. And I've right. talked about it before on the podcast. It was, uh, you know, basically a doc show from my friends at Left Right about the presidential race. Right. And with the guys from Game Change as sort of the talent. Um, but that, it w- that book was fantastic, by the way. Yeah. Was- Did you see this morning they're doing one on Trump's campaign? As if we need to relive it. <laughs> um, so to me, you know, look, I mean, there's been great documentaries since the 50s on presidential races and that yep. kind of thing. Um, but there hasn't really been sort of that peek behind the curtain Um in a, in a very sort of doc way in a right. series, in a quote-unquote reality series. And I, and it was on a premium, you know, it was on Showtime. Right. So it had sort of a, you know, a, a patine to it. Mm-hmm. And and I was really impressed by it. And for someone who's immersed in politics anyway mm-hmm. and very up-to-date, you would think that would be the last thing I'd want to watch. <laughs> and yet the combination of sort of the editing and the music, uh, which, you know, I always joke that, like, they would be boarding you know, Marco Rubio's bus, and I would be terrified because the music was so great <laughs> that they actually made me give a shit, you know, and that's great reality TV. Right, yeah. To, and it was a circus. I mean, it was the aptly named circus, because, right. and, and they really were able to bring that through. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that because I think you're right. I think there are so few shows that are doing anything new from the last 15 years of reality, and that one was a bit of an exception. Well, and it goes to the old adage that truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> right. And this, this last presidential so this last presidential campaign is the perfect example of that. Yeah. So if we we were to actually fully embrace that, if we were to go back to so, that sort of roots of let's go to something genuine and real as opposed to these highly plotted out like uh, outlines that we're supposed to like slavishly follow, that doesn't really make a lot of sense after a while. The audience can pick up on that. Like they like to think, like you know, you're saying, like with a Real Housewives, it's a very, it's a, it's comfort food, right? Yes. It's comfort food, exactly. And, and it's very, it's a very well done, well executed comfort food. Mm-hmm. But also, it's the, it's been like like that for, what the like the first season of Orange County, what debuted like ten years ago. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah. like, so, so what's the ne- what's the next thing? Right. What's the next thing? Yeah, right. And they'll play with little things in the editing and stuff that only a seasoned eye could see, <laughs> sadly. Right. But you're right. I mean, there's no real sort of new iteration of it. But there's also, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So. Right. But I, but I agree with you about scripted. But I, I, but I also wonder if there's an element of that where it's just a different animal. And hmm. for reality to try to sort of do what scripted's doing and sort of what you said, you know, in this art auteur, very creative way. I don't know if it's possible just by virtue of the of the vehicle. I think it is. I think it is. With the advent now of, like, I don't know if you saw a couple days ago or it was last week that um, uh, Hollywood Report had a big article about how Netflix yes. is taking a big push yeah. into reality, right? Yeah. I've been saying this for years now, and it's finally happening. So with Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, they're finally getting into the reality business. So you actually have a whole structure, and you have a little bit of this with, with Showtime as well. One of the big problems we have with reality is that we, and one thing I always do with my notes, the, the, the notes passes that I do, 
is the fact that we always have to feel the need to reset things. We always get the notes uh, of like, oh, okay, act three rolls around, and then suddenly we have to reset things because it's a commercial break. So we're thinking that the the that our viewer has like gone off to the bathroom and has come back, and in that time they've completely lost their memory. Like like toddlers had the concept of object permanence for some reason. Like the the they the network executives view that the audience does not. It's crazy, and they don't right. do it in scripted. This and that's exactly my point. They don't do this in scripted at all. You don't see um you don't see like at the uh, Top of Act 3 at NCIS, right? You know, Mark <laughs> Harmon doesn't turn to Polly Pratt and say, okay, now remember, we're trying to find out who killed this hooker. It's crazy. And we thought it was or, her or just playing the last minute from the act before. Yeah. It's like, but you don't have to do that. <laughs> and also because how people now are, are absorbing and consuming television is different. Yeah. Because we're either, you're either, do, a lot, most people are doing either time shifted yeah. on a DVR or they're, or they're binging it. Right, so which we're not means, waiting for those commercials. We're not waiting for those commercials to reset. Yeah. So, so again, with scripted, you don't have Good to point. have these resets every now and then, resetting everything. And now you don't have to do that with reality too, because you're fast forwarding through the commercials anyway. If you're watching it from your DVR. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I want to get to your network notes. I'm glad you brought it up. So just so so basically, uh, the the quick resume to get us up to date is yes. you've always worked in post. You yes. worked on a variety of reality stuff from MTV uh, to TLC to E. To Lifetime. So you've really run the gamut on mm-hmm. a lot of fun shows. I've been in the field a couple of times, but I prefer being in Post. Okay. And what is it that you like so much about Post? What I like about Post is I like having – it's the problem-solving aspect of story producing that mm. I absolutely love. Yeah. It's the um, – like the – the um, the my, my go-to metaphor is um, someone is – when you write – my go-to metaphor is this. When you're writing a script for a scripted, it's like someone gives you a blank canvas and they give you, uh, here's what, here's the watercolor you're going to paint, here's the paints you're going to use, here's what you're going to paint, right? For for uh, reality, it's here's a big bag of broken glass and I want you to make a mosaic. Mm, yeah. So here's all the pieces. I need you to put this together for me. Yeah. So basically, you know, so that's like when I worked on Project Runway, it's like, okay, here's eight and a half hours of a day and here's everyone working in the, in the sewing room and I need to pick out the bits and pieces of I know... So I can plot who is like if who's who if Sean wins that episode with this dress, I need to start plotting him how he's making that dress. That's such an amazing skill that I don't think people truly appreciate. Right. You know, having spent most of my I mean, I love being in the edit, but I was, you know, mainly a field producer for so many years. It was like I always think in my head, like, good luck to them in post because this is a shit ton of footage to put, you know, where's the story? Right. How like you just said, figuring out how to get from point A to point B, mm-hmm. um, it isn't easy. No, it's not. But but to me, that's kind of where the fun is. Okay. It's, it's, it's the, like a puzzle. It's a puzzle. It's like it's problem solving. It's how can I get from here to here using these sort of things. Um, do you remember uh, the movie Apollo 13? Yeah. Where um, so they're, they're having problems in the capsule and down in mission control, they they bring out this like this box. Okay, here's what they have in order to fix this problem. They have in their capsule, they have duct tape, one, the two uh, two other things, but they have to fix this problem. To me, that's story producing. Hmm. Here's how we have to still tell the story. Use, use the elements that we have and use these in order to fix everything. But what if your story isn't how someone else envisions the story? Well, that's when you sit down and talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, does that ever? I mean, I'm assuming at this point, you know, people trust you to sort of find the story Mm -hmm. and sort of a correct way of how they envisioned it. But I imagine, I mean, first of all, obviously talent will have, and you're not really interfacing with talent, I'm guessing, in terms of how you're cutting them. It depends, yeah. Yeah. But usually no. Yeah. So it's more the network, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that sort of parlays well into the types of notes that you've experienced as, you know, a producer. What, how do you find in general, uh, I guess that's a big broad statement, what are sort of the most common network notes that you experience when you turn in a cut? The most common notes I get is to, they say clarify, which is also like explain things, re-explain things, <laughs> reiterate things. I don't understand what's happening here. Don't assume the audience is going to know what's happening. Don't assume this. But like in scripted, you can kind of, you when someone walks into a room and like introduces themselves to somebody, you don't need an additional bite saying, I'm introducing myself. <laughs> You know, it's like we saw that a lot when I worked on The Bachelor was like the see and say bite. 
Like when like yeah. the you know here comes the basher walks in with Eliza and they're you know they're walking into a, a Moroccan restaurant and then you hear a bite from Eliza saying so the basher today he took me to this wonderful Moroccan restaurant and it was just so lovely and I'm like really excited in order to talk to him today see what, what kind of connection we have it's like we can pick <laughs> that up by just watching it I don't need you to reiterate it do at this point. Do the producers in the field have that down so much that you always have those silly bites at your disposal? Because uh-huh. back in the day, it would be like, oh, we don't have that. We don't have that. We don't have that. Oh, we, yeah. The, everyone at this point is so used to like, we need to, every scene, we need to have some sort of setup bite right, to explain it. And a couple different versions of it. So just in case we need to do like a, you know, a reset after an act break. To, we come back from commercials, so suddenly we have to be like, Tammy and I are not getting along right now because of da 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 And never mind the fact that the audience literally just watched it. They literally just saw what happened, and we literally had to we have put that back in. That's usually coming from the network. I don't understand this. Or it's from a bite. It's a note from someone trying to preempt a note from the network because they already <laughs> know that the network's going to ask for it. Good question. Has the reverse ever happened? Have you done that? And the network said, we don't need that set up. It's obvious. No. <laughs> it's never happened. I can't remember that happening at oh, least once. Oh, that's so depressing. Yeah, that's, and that's what it is. It's just kind of... There was one show I was working on. I will not name names. Damn it. Um, I will do it after we record. Okay. Um, where they were just basically saying how dumb their audience was. It, the network is basically saying, you have to realize that we're, we're, we're gearing everything towards this type of like this uh, 13-year-old girl in, in Ohio who's on her phone. So that's who we're gaming this whole thing for. So we have to really make everything super simple. Like, and also like making people less interesting. Like this guy is only a villain. He can only be a villain. He can't have any sort of redeeming qualities, but X, Y, and Z. Or this girl is only the nice girl. She can only do this. So her character is very limited. When you're literally dealing with an actual real person and, and real people have layers. And what you see in scripted are characters who have lots of layers to yeah. them. Do you think they do that because it's they believe it's just easier for their audience to digest if they can only think of somebody one way? I, I think so, but then the same networks will have scripted programming that will have more interesting and complex characters. Right, so their audience is presumably the same audience watching that. Which is what's, what was driving me kind of crazy, because it's like, it's the same sort of, over, the Venn diagram of yeah. people who watch kind of these type of shows is almost two circles that are come on top of each other. So, yeah. it, so it's not like one person is super stupid and they have to have everything spelled out for them while they watch an episode of... Let's say just Real Housewives, just as an example. Yeah. But also, if it's the same network, they're also watching imposters or they're watching, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you, okay, here's, this, let's see if you admit this. Have you ever had network notes that you think actually improved the cut? Sometimes. Because okay. there's sometimes where just like, if it's one thing here and they're like, hey, can we just make sure that, that, uh, that her intent is clear from the beginning? And then, therefore, it makes everything else makes more sense as an episode goes along. That makes perfect sense to me. And I like that. So if you were on the network side, uh-huh. which you probably won't be or don't have any <laughs> desire to I, I, be. I, I think after this blog, I don't know. <laughs> you will be, be banned. Weird. You will be banned. Yeah. Would What kind of executive would you, what kind of notes would you give? I would try to, I would try to focus more on respecting the audience's intelligence. I think that's one of the reasons why people... You say to people, oh, I work in reality TV, you get half times you get an eye roll because, you know, because people don't watch it because they feel it's dumb because they feel like they're being treated like they're dumb, but but they're not. So I would, if I was an exec, I would try to go for more of like aiming to the highest you can of the audience that you're, you're, you're going for. So trying to assume that they're paying attention. That's the big difference. In scripted, it's assumed that the audience is paying attention. In reality, it's assumed that they're not. Hmm. So interesting. I never thought of it like that. Because you don't, I, I've, I would, I'm sure you've heard this too, on some networks that do a lot of reality, their research shows that their audience is doing it as a second screen. Hmm. So they're on their phone yeah. while they're watching it, or they're doing dishes while they're watching That's it. That's not totally untrue. <laughs> right. So therefore, like, I've gotten those notes before of, you have to put in these bites, assuming that the person who's watching this is a housewife in Kansas City who's washing your dishes. Yeah. So therefore, she needs to follow the story while she's doing that. So she needs to be listening more than watching. Right. And instead of, like, 
when you watch any sort of like scripted show, yeah. like even something like Supergirl, it's you can they don't have that assumption of you're in the other room and you're not paying attention. Yeah. They're assuming you are paying attention. That's so interesting. So what inspired you ultimately to start this blog, G's Jam, where you dig into these uh, iconic movies and kind of give them rounds of network notes, tongue-in-cheek, obviously. Well, the inspiration was um, for was Mad Max Fury Road, like the Mad Max movie that came out yeah. a little bit ago with Charlize Theron, which is an amazing movie. Um, so I don't know if you have you seen it. I I have the DVD in my drawer and I still haven't watched it. <laughs> okay, there's one image that's very kind of iconic from it because um, it's post-apocalyptic in the future yeah. and all that, and um, it focuses on Max trying and Max and this woman Furiosa who's trying to save a bunch of women from this this warlord, right? And the warlord has um, has like this, this army of 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 soldiers and. Part of that is a guy, a guitar player that has a flamethrower attached to it, right? And he's on like this big truck that has these drums. And they're there basically, it's very obvious why they're there. They're there to kind of make bring out the bloodthirsty spirit of all like the soldiers he does work from, right? Obvious. It's never explained. But it's there. And it, you can pick up on it really easily why it's there, right? right? So I was on hiatus. And I was thinking about the movie. I just saw it like maybe a week or two prior and I was thinking about that that image of like the flamethrower and the guy, in it, and it was just it was just stigma. And I thought, man, if I had if that was in a reality show, mm-hmm. I would have to put in a bite to explain that. <laughs> da, da, da. And then I'm like, oh well, that's funny. What if Mad Max got around to reality TV notes? Oh, that'd be kind of cute. So I just kind of like zipped it out in like an hour, wow. and I just kind of posted it, and I ran some errands. And then I came back, and then suddenly I was getting all of these like notes from Facebook. And friends going, John, this is everywhere. And my blog had maybe had like, if I was lucky, I'd get like 10 hits a day. Wow. That day I got 900. Oh, my God. And then suddenly I started like, oh, maybe I should do more of these. So then I did one for Star Wars. And then I did one for uh, Wizard of Oz. And then things really blew up. And for and so since I did that up to now, I've had 50,000 hits on the blog in the past like year and a half, all from these network notes. So fantastic. And are you... Oh- where of your audience is it mostly people in the business? Yes, I've had like I've had friends of mine who aren't in the business who may not get the specific references, right. but they get the concept of some guy or some person is giving me stupid advice, <laughs> and I have to listen. My boss is dumb, so therefore I have to do what that dumb boss says. Yeah, that's kind of universal. That's that's relatable. Right. So I want to get in and have you read some. Um, I think to me, just you know, the ones that I've read, sort of the commonalities. Amongst them is, like you said, constantly explaining and resetting and expository bites and all of that is a very hilarious common theme. Another is the brand integration, which <laughs> I love because that's so on point. And again, sort of treating your audience like they're five-year-olds or whatever. So there's definitely common themes that you employ. But what's so brilliant about it is that it's always so specific to the movie so that if you're a fan of the movie or if you know the movie— and I think I told you that I'd just seen All About Eve the other night for yes. the first time ever. It's from 1950. Oh, it's one of my favorite movies. It's amazing. It's an amazing movie. And yeah. your notes just, I mean, people have to read this. If you haven't seen the movie, see the movie and then read the network notes because <laughs> it's just things that I could never think of that you're just so, you're so smart in the way that you extrapolate it. Really oh, great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So let's read a, some funny passages. Okay. Uh, we'll start with uh, Wizard of Oz. Dorothy is an appealing character. She's sweet and likable in a flyover state sort of way, but her intentions are a bit muddled. Please put in a bite along the lines of, I live with my aunt and uncle on a farm in Kansas, and my dog Toto is my best friend. Toto bit a mean neighbor, Miss Gulch. In her own words, of course. (laughs) Of course. Wow, Munchkin Land looks amazing. So bright and colorful. I really want to go there. Is there a less violent take of Dorothy arriving in Oz? We don't want our audience to think they have to kill a green woman in order to visit this fun place. (laughs) That is so great. I love it. Uh, Do you want a couple more? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Let's do Star Wars. Okay. Everyone's seen that. Yeah, I hope so. This is the first Star Wars, not the prequels. Not the prequels. (laughs) No, no, no. Um, Please make sure all the creatures in the cantina have signed a release. (laughs) Uh, please add an earlier pickup scene where Darth Vader explains the height requirements of soldiers on the Death Star. Otherwise, Leia's line, aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper, doesn't have context. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. Uh, let's do La La Land. Oh, yeah. So this one um, went viral. Everybody, this one, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just because La La Land is obviously the big 
the big movie of the year. Right. And sort of almost won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> well, it won a bunch of Oscars. Right. It just, yeah. Not the Oscar. Well, no. it did, and then it didn't. It did, uh, then it did. Uh, so these, this is this is great. Go ahead. Whoa, what's happening? <laughs> we cut right into Mia's audition without a setup or anything. Slow down, guys. Let's start with an establishing shot of the office with a lower third saying casting, with a bite from Mia explaining why this audition is important to her. Remember, if we aren't connecting the dots for the audience at all times, we are not doing our jobs. It's storytelling. And I love always you really hone in on the, the condescension of it all. Yes. And so do you find that overall there's like an undertone or maybe not even so overt? Uh, or, uh, yes. Or not overt. Yeah. Um, there was one network exec I dealt with on a, um, on a there was a, a house flipping show that I did. Okay. And he was, he made a point one day he would he would be in the bay with us like three times a week it was oh yeah exactly and so there were times we were like babysitting him there was one day i had to like screen um i had to so there's a thing called a string out which we put all the footage together first that a story producer does before even an editor gets their hand on it yeah in order to get kind of like a focus focus of what the story is going to be right i had to show him a string out one day because he the poor guy apparently we had to babysit him like he's like a toddler or something in the middle of like a divorce dispute. So I literally fast forwarded <laughs> through a string out with him, like literally talking him through it. I got through it in 15 minutes. Cause like I had other stuff I needed to do. Uh, so anyway, one day before we start screening an episode, he's like, you know, guys, <laughs> I um like to read Joseph Campbell a lot before uh, every like six months in order to hone my story producing, my, my stories telling skills, <laughs> you know? And we're like, Oh, um, Okay. So we're in the Bay, and there's, like, me, him, my editor, and, like, three other executive producers, right? And he's like, you know, guys, I was constructing this other show for our network, and I really wanted—I was using Joseph Campbell for that well. You know, it was the show we did put together, which is basically, like, a knockoff of um, Storage Wars. Was like, right. Like, we really based it on Joseph Campbell's The Monomyth. <laughs> it took all of my acting skills to be like, oh, Okay. <laughs> And my editor, without missing a beat, has his back to all of us. He picks up a pen, clicks it open, writes down what he just said, and then puts it under his uh, keyboard and then just click, click, and goes back. And we just go right back into working. Love that. Oh, so great. That's the moment. Yeah, it's that level of like, guys, we know what we're talking about. You don't. As opposed to there's some executives, of course, who are very collaborative. If we're like, like, hey, we want the best for the show and we're hiring you because we know you can do the job. But there's a lot of instances of where they're like, kind of give us a little pat on the head. like, oh, you guys, little thing. let me tell you how this works. <laughs> and you always have a running theme, like in all caps, of so confused. <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I had one executive say once, like, you can't assume that the audience is as smart as you are. God. I'm like, I kind of hope the audience is as smart as I am. <laughs> right. Not that smart. I hope they're smarter than me. Right, that's funny. Do you find that the, when you get these network notes... I mean, I, I speaking from my own experience, I think it's very hard to deal with executives that haven't been producers. Yes. So that just come up as executives, you know. From or they're, they're an assistant. Right. <clears throat> exactly. Who suddenly is like, oh, they have no concept of like, oh, can you please recut this entire episode in a day? And it's like, no. Or can we get this? This like, no, that's not how like we can't. We're we're. I mean, we're 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 a little bit of a wizard, but we're not totally a wizard. We can't whip things up out of whole cloth, you know. So yeah, so this, that's that's a lot, big level of frustration is having to kind of sometimes give an executive a uh, crash course on how things actually work because they don't know, right? They don't know, and it's, sometimes it's out of ignorance. And a lot of times it's just out of just like sheer ignorance of like just not having the information, yeah, because they've never done it before, right? Yeah. No, it's true. And a lot of them don't want to hear it because they think they know everything. And, you know, right. even though they haven't done everything that you've done, they just are they're the network. So they right. know. Have you found that in the shows that you've worked on that sometimes the notes have been so exhausted that it's just basically killed the show? It's like a shell of what it was before you started? Yes. I mean, there have been times where you can kind of tell that by the time, like, they were the the network was really excited about the show, but by the time that you start working on it, they've lost interest, or that the executive has left and a new executive's come in, and they're like, "Well, the show's already in progress, so we'll just kind of let this run out, so I can get rid of it, so I can focus on what I, what I want to put in." Yeah, you know, and that's really because like a talent ex, an 
an alternative executive right now doesn't have like a long shelf life at a network, unfortunately. <laughs> right. No. You know, and so, I mean, which also says what the pressure that they're on. Of course. the pressure that we're feeling, they're feeling even more. Well, no, you're right. You're, yeah. right. you're right. And I think that and sometimes in our frustration, we don't realize that enough, which is, you know, and again, if you've been on the network side, I mean, there's so much going on there in terms of brand integration and marketing and all this crap or right. things that haven't worked in the last year. That, that will inform how they're possibly giving notes or looking at something which you have no context for because you're just shooting and editing the best show you can. Right. Yeah, and it's just it's just kind of... It, it's, it's frustrating on our end because we don't know what's going on with them, but at the same time, dude, they have all this pressure on them internally and externally in order to, to deliver. And they're also they're also experiencing the the whole thing of like cut cording. Sorry, uh, cord cutting yeah. of um, of like lower viewership. So therefore, they're trying to scramble, trying to find the next thing that in order to break out, but they don't want to go too far afield from what they're usually used to because otherwise, then they'll, they'll risk being fired because then no one will come see it. Absolutely, yeah. no. It's it's a hard line to walk, honestly. Yeah. Um. So I like to end with some sort of stock questions. Mm. Um. That you know. You may or may not like. <laughs> I'm a Taurus. Um, right. I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> Those should be my questions. The first is, what's your proudest accomplishment? Um, my proudest accomplishment, I mean, I'm assuming you're talking about work-wise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, People always say their family. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because. Uh, right. And I, I say, no, no, no. Professional. <laughs> <laughs> um, I recently did a show called Raising Heaven for uh, Go90. And I was uh, it's my first supervising producer position. And I've been gangling for that for years. And I finally got it. I was the number two in post on it. And it's about Heaven King, who is a um, YouTube star. She's a six-year-old dancer. And she's amazing. And the show was following her and her mom. And it was light and fun and um, really sweet and affirming without being cloying. And you know, everything was really earned. And it was something I'm really, really proud of because a lot of it was like my vision was very much in vision, was in sync with everyone else. And so it was great. And I was the number two in post. I was weighing in on everything from uh, music to graphics to staffing. I ran the story department. I hired the editors. I oversaw the editors. I was like making sure everything, uh, the delivery of all the episodes. I was coordinating the notes. I was doing all that stuff. And so, yeah, I was, and it's also something I could show my nieces and nephews. It's something I could... Yeah, it's something I'm very, very proud of. That's great. And we were talking a little bit before we started that the other added bonus is no network notes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting that yeah. you, you're, you're you're raving about this experience where you actually had autonomy and was able to really do your job. Mm-hmm. So that says something. Well, yeah, too, because you see some of that with other... with other in, in, in scripted, you see that, too, that some there are some sort of auteurs who have, like, full tilt creative control top to bottom. And maybe that is something that we could start looking into when it comes to reality of people who've been doing it for so long that they too can, like, as long as you're filing within, like, standards and practices, and as long as you're on the creative same creative same page as the network, why not give them more autonomy? Yeah, I also think there's something to just everybody having an opinion in general yeah. when it comes to notes. Like, you know, I'm producing and directing a documentary right now, and we just are releasing the trailer. Mm. And, you know, it's been great, a great response. But it's so interesting how everyone wants to give me notes, you know. And, <laughs> and I actually, I'm good with critique, and, yeah. and a lot of them are really interesting and helpful. But at the end of the day, it's like I'm sticking to my guns because right. it's my thing. And, you know, your little insecurities come out, like, well, what if they're right or what if that? Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you sort of second guess or take in every single piece of feedback or notes or, you know, create a vision of somebody else, you could just crumble. Yeah. Or, or what you do or what you can do become, can become just sort of bland. Well, exactly. If you have to beige. anesthetize it. Or yeah. beige, as you say. Yeah, <laughs> that's so good. It's so true. So do you have any regrets? Um, do I have any regrets? <laughs> like professional regrets? Yeah. Should have never taken that job. You handed in a cut you felt crappy about because you edited somebody really wrong. Um, that I <laughs> many regrets. I mean, not that. But that's the thing. It's like it's um, when you go through the industry, like you're you're gonna get knocks all the time. Yeah. One thing I always try. I I even though like the notes, these notes, they're really fun and kind of highlight some of the, the bizarreness that we go through. When it comes to the actual, when I'm actually getting notes, I've, I'm way more zen about it. Because ultimately, 
I'm not being paid to get it right the first time. I'm just being paid just to do the work. Yeah. So I always view it as a Zen. It's like a Zen garden. Like mm. I, we have a bunch of rocks. I have a rake. And today we're doing circles. All right, we'll just do the circles. Yeah. And tomorrow we're doing lines. Okay, we're doing lines, which means I'm wrecking everything I did before. But I'm just doing – that's what I'm being paid to do today. Yeah. You know? And ultimately, because at least it's it's not – I always see view it's like it's my episode. It's not my show. So my job as a story producer, even as a supervising producer, my job is to give my opinion. My job is not to win an argument. That's a great way to look at it. That probably will give you longevity in the business. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I mean, I'll just do what I need to do. Like there's some things that – there's some – a couple instances where I felt I, I got – I was getting too a little too wrapped up in trying to get things done. So therefore, I was a little snappish with people. <laughs> and like I was a snappish with, a, with one of my APs once. And that I really do – I actually did apologize to her about it and she took it like a champ she was great i love her to pieces it's stuff like that that i feel yeah, more regrettable. i feel like that's that's part kind of, of that's part of the process exactly. so yeah I who mean, doesn't get like that who doesn't exactly i mean i that's where i i do feel that's where that's where my regret is from it's not from like oh i worked there's some shows where i'm like oh i'm not i'm not a fan of this right <laughs> you know but there, that, that's how that's life like some there's some things you work on that you feel really connected to and some things you work on that it's just like, oh, I'm paying my bills for a couple months. Absolutely. Is it really hard for you to watch reality shows because you're constantly, you know, thinking of how it's cut in your head or that that was Frankenbite or? Anything? I find it harder to watch. I do a lot of docu soaps. Okay. I find it harder for me to watch a docu soap than it is for me to watch a competition a show. Format. Got it. Because um, the go-to things that I like to watch reality-wise are creative competition shows. Well, that was my next question. What are your top three? Oh, okay. Top three reality shows, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. First, I think it's the best reality show on the air right now. I think yeah. it's one of the best TV shows ever because mm-hmm. it's simultaneously a really well-done competition show while also it's a commentary on competition shows because everything has a slight wink to it. Mm-hmm. It's not a guest judge. It's an extra special guest judge. <laughs> right. Everything has like a wink and a yes. nod to it. It's very it's witty in that respect. Mm-hmm. And it has a very specific sort of aesthetic. That is very sort of um, that's just it's it's serious but it's light at the same time. Yeah, completely, I agree. It's grounded and it's funny. Um, so yeah, so that um, I love Face Off. Yeah, I had those guys on Michael and Dwight who produced that. They're great. Yeah, it's a wonderful show. What I like about that show is that it's, it's all about the process and not about. It's the conflict is man versus deadline, not man versus man. Yeah, that was a conscious decision. They talk yeah. about that, that, you know, there was sort of that temptation to go there because that was, you know, following a lot of those competition shows where that conflict was sort of part of the DNA. And they're like, right. no, that's not necessary for this. And the network didn't want it. Right. So it's actually just able to be a really, I think I called it, you know, a celebration of artistry. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, creativity is the, the big thing that drives me. Yeah. So I tend to, that's what I tend to gravitate towards. Yeah. Uh, I worked on Ellen's design challenge yeah. for HGTV. And that was a big thing for us, too, is that it was always about if the designer had a critique about somebody else, it was about their work, not about the person. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, oh, um, Eliza did a great job on that uh, the chair last week. This week, it's not really up to what her standard is. That's perfectly fine. It's not like, well, she's a terrible person. And she's exactly. Right. Yeah. With with the um, docu-soaps, I've done them so much now. Like, I can totally see the seams. Yeah. I totally like, oh, I know why that bite's there. I know why this is. I can see all that stuff coming. And so what's your third? Or did you just name? Oh, you named three. Oh, no. You named well, Face I named, Off. And, well, and, and, and Project Runway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love Runway. Did you watch Junior? Uh, I've watched some of Junior, yeah. It was really good. It's a good show. Yeah. I, it was exciting for me because um, it's something I can watch with my daughter. Yes. And it's also really inspired her. Right. And she, yeah. She went out and we bought all this fabric, spent a shit ton on fabric, <laughs> and she made like some ridiculous tunic that's like coming apart literally at the seams. Right. <laughs> but I love that it inspired her, just like the cooking shows do. And yeah. That's when I feel like proud to be in this industry because it actually can do good stuff, too. Absolutely. Here's one thing that I don't like when people say like reality is all kind of bottom feeding and all that. So <laughs> right. all that elements are there, right? But judging, you can't judge the whole genre based on fear factor. Right. Right? That's kind of like saying all sitcoms are bad because of she's the sheriff. 
<laughs> I never heard of that one, but I'll yeah, take or, your word or, for or it. Like, or Small Wonder or like According to Jim or whatever. Like take any yeah. other like generic bad sitcom right. and then say like all sitcoms are bad because of it. That No, that means oh, so Seinfeld's not good. Right. So like, you know, oh Mary, my God, a million. Mary Tyler Moore's not good. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Or Arrested Development. Oh, my favorite. It's yeah. genius. Genius. No, I, I get it, but we love to work in sweeping generalizations yes. and that makes us comfortable. You know, it's it's just... I don't subscribe to that, so right. I'm glad you feel the same way. Another thing, too, um, is that script is becoming more and more, the characters are becoming more and more complex, yeah. right? Um, yeah, you can have hateable protagonists. Completely, utterly, ridiculously hateable protagonists, right? Um, so I think one way to kind of to counter-program against that is to have reality become more positive. So if he's like Scandal, for instance, I love Scandal. I've seen every episode of Scandal, right? I know you're making a face, but, but <laughs> I uh, yeah, it got too much for me. Well, okay, but I get it. But I yeah, yeah, it. but it's kind of ridiculous and over the top, right. and all these characters are complicated, are complex, quote right. unquote, are different levels of asshole, right? <laughs> right? They're just like kind of despicable. Yes. Right. So the story, so you're dealing in this world that's kind of you know that's mucky and complicated yes. and morally so then if you have then you counterbalance that with a show like face off mm-hmm. where it's a celebration of creativity you know what i mean or it's a cooking show where you have like chopped junior yeah we have all these kids who love cooking and they love you know they want to spend time with their family or they want to go to culinary school and so that so you go towards that angle that's a great way of counter programming against kind of like how complicated and how dark um, scripted is getting. I agree, and I think it also is reflective of our world. I yes. mean, you know, it's a dark world right now, and people want to escape into feel-goody stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I had on Josh Entman, who's the head of Juke Media, which they do viral videos. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he and uh, I asked him what are the most popular viral videos right now, and he said feel good. And I thought that was really interesting because right. I think that especially reality TV is always going to be a reflection of the zeitgeist and where you are as a culture. Right. So there's a reason. Um, I mean, I think, honestly, I have to say, reality TV in general, I mean, I don't watch sort of the real bottom feeder shit, you know, like Bad Girls Club and that kind of stuff. But I find that, um, in general, it's gotten more positive. I agree. Yeah. And I think that's a trend that we need to start running more. Yeah. I think it's more... It's more inspirational. It's more... We should go for more positive stories. We should go for more uplift that's earned. It's not just like, you know... um, Seeing somebody go through something and then they come out on top and succeed, well, you do you see it like that that story's been told thousands of times. Yeah, but you can find that in reality too, and really kind of go for that in yeah. a way that I think it would be a kind of a great escape for people, mm-hmm. but also kind of showing that, yes, there are kind of good things out there. Mm-hmm. We were a real person who's actually doing something real. And like, oh, okay, well, that's that's great because usually for reality TV, it's per, you can like, it's the viewer can put themselves into that situation, yeah. right? Oh, this I, I can. Oh, I can. I don't know how to cook, but I can do that. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's a bit more accessible to me. And you have a positive story of someone who comes in and saves somebody, or comes in and like helps the town, or whatever. Like, oh, it's just a regular person who just decided to do this. Wait a minute, I can do something too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's the best of it. That's when you can pat yourself on the back. <laughs> this was so much fun. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so glad you came in. And everyone, if you're not already following John's, Jeez uh, John, mm-hmm. is it jeezjohn.com or is it's, it a blog spot? It's a J-E-E-Z-J-O-N.typepad.com. Okay. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at J-E-E-Z-J-O-N, Jeez John. I've heard it so many times. I'm like, eh, I'm just going to run with it. Jeez John. Uh, well, yeah, you're hysterical. And do you have a certain amount of times that your blogs come out, your posts come out? Um, it's it's kind of intermittent. But whenever you can have, whenever find the I time. can find the time, yeah. But now that it's gotten a big spike again because of the La La Land, I've gotten it's gotten seventeen thousand views since in a week. Wow, that's so exciting! Yeah, between that and I just did one for Arrival yesterday. So between the two of them, it's like seventeen thousand. That's kind amazing. Of amazing. I have to see Arrival so I can fully appreciate it. Arrival is an amazing movie. You should do one for Nocturnal Animals. That needs about seven. Have you seen it? I've seen the first 20 minutes of it. I still have not gotten back to it yet. Oh, that needs, that honestly does need real network notes. (laughs) Somebody should have given him notes. People have asked me, like, you should do, like, a bad movie. Right. Like, that movie, movie. you should give real notes that they could actually implement and then release again. But one of the reasons why I wanted to do this was kind of show kind of some of the idiocy, some of the notes, is, like, taking something that's beloved (laughs) and how we would drag it down as opposed to something terrible. Because people say, you should do, like, 
Paul Blart Mall Cop. I'm right. Like, like no. oh, the, like, the network note for that would be, it's perfect, lock it. You've perfectly encapsulated the ironic nature of network notes by <laughs> picking the iconic film. So don't stray from your premise. It's perfect. Yes, ma'am. You're awesome. Thank you again, John. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 